This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Tap, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. He's a chartered financial analyst and holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. What software do you use for personal finance? Do you use a program to do your taxes? Do you keep track of your budget on your phone with an app or on your PC with software? We'll tell you some options, and we want to hear from you what works for you. Uh, Rodder's always here ready for your personal finance questions as well. You can contact us by email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Ryder. What financial news do you have for us this week? Good morning, Kevin. Uh, I'm going to start off today with a little review of what's going on in the markets. Uh, at the end last year, it was a good year. We we kind of discussed expectations for the market. Of course, we didn't expect the market to do this repeat the same thing, which is pretty much an an up into the right line, uh, pretty strong returns last year. But I also didn't expect us just to start out the gate with a series of declining days. We're now for the year. We are down just a couple of percent, just given where the the year started. But it's been over kind of several painful days. So we haven't really had a great time in the market. The sell-off, I think, people are looking at higher inflation expectations, maybe even higher than they were expecting just a couple weeks ago in, in, in 2021. It seems so long ago now. Um, and so that might be one of the big concerns people are looking at because that is shaking both the stock market, again, which doesn't like the surprise of higher inflation. It does have an expectation of some inflation. And then the bond market as well because we are looking at higher interest rates from the Federal Reserve. We've already had a lot of speculation about when they're going to start raising rates. Are they going to start raising rates earlier? Are they going to raise rates faster than we're expecting? Right now, the market expectation is that we're going to get a rate hike in March and maybe uh, one to two more for the rest of the year. But that just remains to be seen. Um, I got an email notification that my W-2 form uh, was available for download. Um, and I guess, Ryder, this is the time of year when employees should be getting some sort of communication from their employer about the availabilities of the W-2 form. That's right. So, beginning of the year, you're going to have a, and we're going to talk about this, I know, in, in one of these segments coming up, you're going to get a flurry of tax forms. If you have a bank account that earned interest, if it was more than $10 of interest, they are required to generate a 1099 for you. If it was less than $10, they may if they want to. And that could be a checking account. That could be a savings account. That could be a, a joint checking account. Any of your investment accounts, uh, if you are retired and withdrawing from your retirement accounts, you're going to get get forms from that. If you did a rollover, if you did a Roth conversion, you're going to get forms from that. If you had a job, if you worked, uh, if you worked a gig job, if you if you worked uh, as a contractor for for someone, not a not a employee, but they paid you more than six hundred dollars, they're going to be sending you a ten ninety nine. I was even looking. We were talking about this in the office. Places like Pinterest and eBay. If you sell things on on those. Um, Sorry, not maybe not Pinterest, uh, Etsy uh, or eBay. They will send you forms showing that you sold because you will have tax consequences for those, and they are making sure that 
you have the information needed to file your taxes. So yes, that's what all of that is, and things are coming out now. Uh, they will be coming out for first. Well, really, until April, you'll still be receiving. Uh, some people will still be receiving tax forms. Well, thank you for that, because I was thinking this morning that I just needed my W-2 form and off off I go. But then as you were going through that list, I remembered that I do have uh, two two savings accounts uh, that I need to make sure that uh, if I get the uh, – and it's a 10 – is it the something something int form? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, ten ninety nine int for interest. And one useful thing, you know, bank accounts are just about as simple as it comes because you can also just look on your December statement, and your December statement will say, well, here's what your balance is, and here's how much interest we paid this month, and here's how much interest we paid this year. If you don't have your hands on the int and you want to go ahead and make those records, it's. I'm not going to say. It's definitely going to be the same number, but it better be the same number because that's that should be the number that your bank is reporting. And 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 there's no there's no other weird transactions that you need to worry about. But but even gathering records such as how much you put into an IRA if you are if you're still eligible to put money into an IRA or for personal IRAs, and that's IRAs, 401ks, et cetera, for personal IRAs, you actually – you still have until uh, April – is it 18th? What's the deadline? Sorry, probably April 15th uh, is the deadline here, and you have until then to put money in those accounts. You will have to report it as a 2021 contribution if that's what you're trying to do. But importantly, if you get a W-2 and you have a 401k with work, they should break out on that W-2. What was your gross pay? What was your net pay for taxable purposes? And usually that's the number that has your 401k contributions taken out. So it'll be a different number that they report to, say, Social Security Medicare versus the IRS. So, Ryder, when looking at personal finance software or apps, what are some of the things uh, to consider? So, there's a, a, a lot to consider with personal software applications. The first thing is just w what do you want out of it? What are you trying to get? What is, the, what is the data that you want and how do you want it displayed? If you're just trying to keep up with your bank and credit card transactions, your bank and your credit card company probably have pretty good apps of their own, and that's really the best because you don't have to go share that information with somebody else. It is live and real-time, and when you need help with it, when you need customer service with it, you are just referring back to the bank or the credit card company. If you have a third-party app that keeps, say you have multiple cards and, and you want a third-party app to keep track of it, if you have a problem with a charge, well, you can't call that company about it. You have to go back to your to your bank or your credit card company. So, so a lot of these institutions already have very good apps. They have very good websites for keeping track of all of this. And, and, and that can even be a deciding factor for some folks in what bank to choose and what credit card to choose, because how you interact with that institution is going to be largely through that website, largely through that application, and you want to make sure that it is a, a, an efficient and useful experience for you. So, and that's one thing I mentioned there, data. 
what are you doing with it? Are, are, you, are you having it generate reports? So again, for instance, a lot of credit card and banking apps will generate a report to show where did your money go? Did, what categories did you spend in? And if that's all you want to do, again, just kind of keeping tabs on it, keeping track of it, again, those apps built in are already pretty good. But then you start getting to third-party apps that need to, you either need to hand enter transactions or you know hand enter information, or they are going and linking with your bank account and scraping that information. And that's going to be really important to consider because that's the security issue. If you're having to give your banking password, your credit card passwords to other entities, you want to be careful who you are giving it to. Is it a is it a, a small company? Is it a big company? Is it, what's their reputation? You can look at reviews. Um, what do other customers say about it? their security. I know a lot of us don't really have a great way of evaluating someone's gear. We're not going to do penetration testing on Chase Manhattan ourselves, but you can kind of see what are the security protocols that they are following. They'll usually put that out there. But also, I think one of the most important things when you're giving information to another company is what do they do with it and what is their motivation? So with with your bank or credit card, their motivation is just to keep you as a customer. They're already either charging you a, a fee or maybe they're making money from the transactions like a credit card company might do, or a bank makes money because you're keeping money there and they take that money and lend it out to make money. So that's where they're making – they're not making their money from selling your information off to someone else. For instance, if, if Facebook asks for my bank login, I would just run the other way, right, because they make their money by compiling a whole bunch of information about me and selling that on to other people. Not necessarily you can go to Facebook and say, give me all your information on Ryder Taft. I mean, they, they might do that. I'm not exactly sure how that works. But that's the sort of business that they are in. So always consider what they're doing with that information and what they want to do with that information. You know, I, I, a good point you made, and we're going to go to break here in just a minute, but wanted to, uh, to to emphasize what you said, and that's the reviews, is that, you know, look at user reviews, and what I try to do is not look at the, oh, this is great, or oh, this is the worst product, or whatever, but read through several to try to get the, you know, the mean average, I guess it were, but I think that's real important to, to let other users' experiences help you pick out what's best for you. Absolutely, and, and, and it is more than just saying, oh, they have a great overall, oh, this is four and a half stars overall. Go and find the folks who, who had a terrible experience. Now, they might not, some of those you look at them and you might say, oh, well, that's not what this app was ever for, or oh, it sounds like maybe you made a mistake. But then like you said, look, look at the ones where there are two, three stars, People are people are using it, but they say, "Oh, you know, I really, really wish it did this, but it just doesn't do this." Or, "This is a good app, but it's a lot more difficult than I initially thought." And, and you can learn a lot from those people's experiences. And another thing that I thought of was, oftentimes, they'll have a website that has a video on how to use their app, and you can just watch those videos and say, "Okay, well, this is really easy to use." and it produces all the information. It reports that information to me in a way that I want it to. 
or sometimes you look at it and be like, that is a lot of steps. I know personally I'm not going to be able to keep up with that. Or it just doesn't look like they're displaying that information in a useful way to me. And so those video walkthroughs just from the company on their website, keeping in mind those are going to be idealized versions of what's going on in the app. But also people post user reviews online elsewhere. So you can watch you can watch people's video reviews of all sorts of software, and it gives you a really good feel for what is your commitment of how much work do you have to put in and what are you going to be getting out of it. If you have a question for our experts, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We'll continue our discussion of personal finance software after the break. Do you use software to file your income taxes? We'll have some options for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand to all the local MPB Think Radio programs. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're talking today about personal finance software, but always looking for your personal finance questions as well. Do you use software to file your income taxes? According to the IRS, IRS Free File lets you prepare and file your federal income tax online using guided tax preparation uh, at an IRS partner site or free file fillable forms for a federal return if you qualify. Last year, the website NerdWallet reviewed tax preparation software packages Tax Act, TurboTax, H&R Block, and Tax Slayer. We'll have a link to those reviews on the podcast for this episode. 
So, Ryder, what's your opinion about using tax preparation software? Liz Gill and I, the producer of the show, were talking about this uh, before the show began, and, and she and I share one uh, plus for using these softwares, and that is uh, that um, you don't have to do the math yourself. You put the, you know, you type in your information, and the computer program does all the work for you. Uh, plus, I think it's easier to not make any math errors. You still could maybe transcribe uh, or uh, transpose some numbers, but it would, should be easier to track down, you know, where your, uh, where you might have put in some wrong information. But again, for those of us that aren't uh, great mathematicians, uh, the fact that the software does all the adding and subtracting and that sort of thing certainly uh, is a big plus. And I found that, um, again, Liz and I were talking before the show, and I, I can't remember one year to the next which free version of, of the tax preparation softwares I use, so I kind of bounce around. Uh, but I find most of them to be pretty straightforward and uh, easy to follow along. Obviously, the simpler your tax form is, I think the more success you're going to have uh, with that. But even uh, some of the more, uh, you know, maybe complicated tax things, you can find uh, software that will help you uh, fill that out. And also... I think when you e-file, uh, you certainly get uh, results a lot faster. Again, I think last year um, I got my return uh, electronically deposited in my account uh, within a couple of weeks, I think. So, um, so Ryder, what's your opinion about uh, ta uh, tax preparation software? Let me just back up to my opinion of filing taxes. It's an enormously complex task, and I think that's why that's why people turn to the tax preparation software so much. TurboTax, USA Tax, H&R Block has has a software there, and it's enormously helpful. Those do help you organize your information. I always want to give a plug for the IRS free file. If I don't know the income limits this time, I know we're going to be talking about this in, in, in a future show, but if you make under a certain income, and I want to say it was around $70,000, you can use most uh, several popular softwares for free without paying, and it's a kind of a stripped-down version, but it should be adequate for your needs. And there is another program called IRS Free Fillable Forms. If you make more than that and, and are kind of comfortable doing the taxes by hand, but just want to submit it electronically instead of printing out the pages and mailing it in, the Free Fillable Forms is very useful for that. It it has a couple of, of checks just to make sure you kind of did some of the math right and filled out all the boxes. It can be a little tedious to file. I would not put off any of these methods until the last minute, but there are ways, there are software out there available to help you organize it, which is very useful, and of course, filing electronically. You know, it's interesting. Um, I like the. I don't know what the company is, and this is funny about ads. Sometimes, if they're they're funny or cute or whatever, you love the ad, but then you can never remember what the product is. But there's one of them that's free, 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 and, and all through the commercial. And like I say, I, I chuckle at them, but when I stop to think about well, what company is that, I don't quite remember. So. Oh no. <laughs> but as I was saying earlier, I found pretty much success with a, a couple of different ones. I bounced around uh, from one to another. It seems like it's it's for 
for my adult brain, it's sometimes hard to remember last year, you know, which which program did I actually use. So, um, but, uh, oh, you know, the thing I like about it, too, is they're, they have the little built-in questionnaire. So if you're talking about expenses, you'll, you'll go through and it asks you these questions and that sort of thing, and it helps you uh, get every, all your ducks in the row when, when you're uh, following your taxes. So I'm, I'm a big fan of them. Um, so, Ryder, the, the IRS had some news recently. Uh, what all did they have to say? Oh, my goodness. They they put out kind of a, a report recently just kind of – I don't know if you might call this expectations by the IRS, expectation setting from the IRS, because it basically detailed all of the things that have gone wrong and could go wrong with filing your taxes. They – they mentioned one paper forms are they're a huge headache because they still need to get them processed but they've got to open those envelopes type in all that information and before they even get started processing the returns or processing processing the filing so so that's that's just a lot of manual effort that goes into it one thing someone noted that the IRS doesn't use the software that's out there to help them. They could have scanning software that scans this a lot better, reads this, a computer reading it before a human even needs to bother with it. Apparently, the IRS is not doing that, although a lot of companies and a lot of states are. Another thing that was a little surprising was that even though they tout e-filing a lot, and one useful thing with e-filing is, of course, they have all the data already kind of entered. You do the, the data entry, which is you know, a little tedious, but it does take time, but not terribly hard to enter in numbers into a form. So you do that. That saves them time. But they still end up manually processing a lot of those because there's some sort of error on it. And they mentioned – one of the things they mentioned was that a lot of the refunds, so things like the child tax refund, people might have put – a different amount than the IRS had actually had records of sending or the, the stimulus payments. If someone say, oh, I just never actually got my first one, and the IRS says, oh, well, we sent it, there's going to be a discrepancy on what the two of you are reporting. And so they have to reach out and they have to resolve that. And that is that is a huge – I mean, that can take – that can take a long time for any one return. And so just imagine how that stacks up for millions of returns. What about the where's my refund tool? I think it's mentioned in the report. I've had fairly good luck with that. Yes. Yeah, so they mentioned that that was, could not often answer everyone's question. And there's a variety of reasons why it might not work. But some of it is simply, well, it's giving a status and it's just, we're processing it. And it's kind of like, I kind of think about it like you order a package from some small company and you're tracking it and it's just in transit for like two weeks. And then all of a sudden it shows up at your house. It, well, it was in transit, that's true, but that didn't really provide any useful information about is it moving, is it actually coming, is it gonna be here in two weeks or what? So a tool like that, it's, 
it's useful when there is a clear status and that status clearly updates, but at all other points, even for even in the best of cases, that might not be that useful. And I really hate to hear that because we refer folks to that a lot. I know we get a lot of calls about, hey, how long are returns taking to process? Hey, you know, I haven't gotten XYZ payment from the IRS yet. How do I get an update on that? Because you don't want to sit on the phone for three hours trying to figure this out. But but if, if, if that your only option is something that says, we're working on it, it's not that useful to you. And, and that leads to kind of the phone service. It's terrible. It's bad customer service. And again, this report is just previewing all the things that could go wrong, all the things that have gone wrong. And I think it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, they are understaffed and underpaid. So, of course, you're not getting good service. And that's absolutely part of it. And then you can also look at things and say, well, they haven't really updated their technologies to keep up with, with the times. And, you know, if they did update their technologies, then, then maybe they would be able to keep up with the volume with fewer people. And, and maybe that's true. They still do need money to upgrade those systems. It does cost money to run the agency that collects money. I get it. It's a little weird. But one of the things that I think is the absolute worst thing for the IRS is that taxes get more complicated every year. And we've seen it, especially in the past few years, we have, the IRS has gone from kind of the quarterly collecting taxes and sending out information to they have been administering monthly payments for folks. They have been calculating and administering stimulus payments and those aren't necessarily bad or hard, but you're adding on to the mission of the IRS. Also, the rules for filing taxes, there have been new credits, new deductions. They've taken away credits, taken away deductions. They've changed the main filing forms several times in the past few years. Each one of those changes makes it harder to keep up. And especially when you add something, it's just it's just more to keep up. It's more possibility for error. And let me tell you, politicians love throwing in a new credit or throwing in a new deduction. So they love this, and then the burden always falls on the taxpayer to keep up with this and report it faithfully, and then the IRS to process it. And if you just keep adding things every year, it is not going to get any better. You know, the IRS, I, I don't think, is the only company that has issues with telephone service. And I'll say uh, that one thing that I would hope more companies would adapt, and it, I don't know how expensive it is, but uh, I had an issue with AT&T, and I called up, and they had that thing that says, hey, do you want to us have hold your place in line and give you a call back when it is your turn? And so the first time, it was like 25 or 30 minutes, and so I appreciated that. I called back a couple other times, and it was only about 10 minutes, but still, I think that's good because that way you're not tied to your telephone listening to that god-awful on-hold music and the same message over and over and over again. Your call is very important to us. That's why we're making you wait for 45 minutes on the line. <laughs> but anyway, uh, if, if more companies were able to do that, I, it would certainly make uh, this camper happy. We'll continue our discussion of electronic ways to keep track of your money in just a bit. Do you remember when tax software first came out? Try to guess the year. We'll tell you when that was next. This is Money Talks on MPP Think Radio.
Hanging on to a vehicle you can't drive feels like a dream where you try to run but can't. Rather than hit the snooze for another year, why not donate your car, truck, or other vehicle to MPB and wake up to great television and radio? Call 877-MPB-4-CAR or go to mpbonline.org support and click on Donate a Vehicle to support the programs you count on morning and evening. Now that's a good dream. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. Monday Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. He's a chartered financial analyst and also holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Our producer, Liz Gill, found that TurboTax was first released in 1984. By 1991, there were 15 different software options to use for filling out your personal federal income tax form. So it certainly is a, a ex- ever-expanding marketplace. Uh, Ryder, we've been talking about filing taxes. Uh, when can Americans or anyone who files income taxes uh, begin sending in their returns? Uh, very soon. Uh, tax season officially opens on January 24th. So that's going to be is that next Sunday. Uh, sorry, next Monday when the tax uh, when they start accepting and processing the 2021 tax year returns. So that gives uh, everybody a little time to gather a few forms. I think the earliest form that would have gone out to taxpayers would have been maybe last week, first couple of weeks of the year, still processing information for, as you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, W-2s, et cetera. But they will, most, most people will be getting a lot of tax forms in late January and February. And, you know, one of the things I like about e-filing is that, that you get your, well, I mean, I guess if you're getting a return, you're happy for this. If you're paying, you might not be, but Absolutely. fortunately. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a big difference. That's a big difference. <laughs> fortunately, I generally get a return, and it comes quicker with e-filing. That's that's generally correct. So, like we said before, people still do send in paper, but that paper has to be manually processed, and and that that process adds time. And then just the fact that that paper stacks up on somebody's desk desk and they have to get to it, that adds more time. So, so the e-filing, you are kind of already in the system. IRS anticipates that most people will receive a refund. Uh, within 21 days if they're filing electronically, barring any issues processing. So like we said, for folks who have a discrepancy between the records that they are submitting and the records that IRS themselves receive, because keep in mind, the IRS, one, they're the ones who sent you some of this information or some if, if, if you're reporting if you're reporting tax credits that they paid out, they sent you those. They know what the number is. And so if there's a discrepancy, even if it's just, oh, whoops, I rounded up or down, well, they usually don't. They usually ignore rounding errors, but say you're off by 10 bucks because you got a digit wrong, then 
that can be an issue because that means they have to find where that discrepancy came from. They have to reconcile that. Sometimes they have the information. They can do that on their own. Sometimes they're going to have to reach back out to you and say, oh, there's an error and we just need you to fix it or need you to send in additional documentation. So again, you expected to get it within three weeks if you got it right the first time. And again, I think uh, IRS encourages uh, direct deposit. And again, I would I'd certainly an endorsement for that because again, instead of waiting for that check to come through the mail, it's automatically uh, debited to your account, and you can have access to it a lot faster. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And a lot of people just don't want to have to wait one wait on the mail or a little concerned about security of the mail, especially you know, say you live in an apartment building and, and your mail might come to a single place. Just various reasons for really preferring that direct deposit. So let's uh, transition our discussion just a bit. Budgeting software seems like it would be a better idea than pencil and paper. Uh, Ryder, what do you think about when choosing software or apps uh, for budgeting? What are some things to keep in mind? Yeah, so I, I think understanding, having a good idea of what you're looking for and then making sure that application actually does it. That can be a really big issue. If you're, and, and the simpler your needs, kind of the more common your needs, the, the easier it's going to be to find an app. And, and so some of the apps, that, well, we didn't mention any specific apps before, but for budgeting, there's one, two that I have used and, and really gotten a lot of good feedback from other people who use them. Mint, which is run by, which is owned by Intuit, you know, large company, owns QuickBooks, you know, QuickBooks Online, et cetera. So that's, it's, Mint is the really easygoing personal version of that. It has a lot of features to track your spending. You can categorize your spending. You can say, okay, well, this is a housing expense. This is a food expense. This is a transportation expense. And you can set budget categories for that. So that is very good. And as long as, if again, kind of basic budget needs where you can set a category and say how much you want to spend in it, that's what it's keeping track of, and you can very easily look on the Mint website, get a walkthrough video, read a couple of reviews, and understand if the amount of effort that you need to put in is going to be worth it for the information that they feed back to you. Another one that I really, uh, it's a different style of budgeting application, but you need a budget, Y-N-A-B, you need a budget.com. They have, I, I don't know exactly where their app is right now. I know they have an app where you can hand enter in all your transactions, which is great. You probably only have one or two transactions a day. You probably don't have that many transactions, but you can, the way they put it is you're giving every dollar a job. It's a different way of looking at at your budget, and people are usually usually quite quite into that once once they get started. It is a little more of a commitment as far as what you have to do. Again, your hand entering in your transaction, you got to save your receipt. You've got to uh, you got to remember when you have those monthly withdrawals, etc. But the way it presents information might be right up your alley. Um, I used to use one that I've soured on a little bit for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, of, the first thing was they had a an app that you that could you uh, would uh, hook up to the the PC version of of the program so that you could snap uh, your receipt. So if you went out to lunch and got a receipt, instead of having to carry the receipt around in your wallet, you could snap that and then eventually uh, export that to your program on your PC. Well, I started having trouble with it, and after very very exhaustive uh, support 
port calls a number of. I discovered that there was a, a, a glitch in this thing, and no one really seemed to be that interested in fixing it. It had gone on, I think, for over a year. So a little upset, kept using it. Uh, but then um, I started not—I would save my receipts, and I started not really putting them in. So what I would do would just be to use—when I was trying to balance my, my account, I would just use the program and say, oh, yeah, you know, fill everything in. So anyway, it, it, it got to the point where I don't didn't think I was getting much out of it, and I I think mobile banking sites uh, are good about telling you, you know, what's cleared and what's uh, pending and that sort of thing. So I've, I've kind of dropped out using them. But for the longest time, I did like using them. Again, like we mentioned with uh, tax software, you know, it, it won't make a math error. You might transcribe the numbers wrong, but it's not going to make a math error. So I, those are, are, are quite helpful. And I don't know why, but I just love you need a budget. To me, that's a, a very catchy name. So It's straightforward. Yeah, you, you, you know what it does. It helps you with a budget. Budget, that's for sure. And and I think you raise an interesting point, which is there's a couple of things you want to look at. One, I mean, it's just customer satisfaction, right? If there was some constant issues, widespread issues with the app, then you would see that in reviews. People, people are good about responding when they're really upset with something. And But also think about what this company that's behind it, is this company going to be, if this is uh, an app I want to use for several years, is this company going to be around or is this just was this just like a fun project that someone did? Even if it's a very useful fun project, well, when they change jobs or get tired of this project or do another project, are they still going to support it? And even if it works perfectly now, things happen through the years. And, and if you have it on your phone, you, know, you update your phone and all of a sudden a feature doesn't work anymore. And if that person has moved on from supporting the application, you're not going to have use of that anymore. And so having your your bank app or your credit card app, those are going to keep track of your transactions really well. So something like that, you might just say, well, that's just going to be good enough for me. It's not perfect, but it's just going to have to be good enough. So one thing, I guess, to be aware of is if the software that you use has to link to a checking account or an investment account. And again, uh, just sort of the basic uh, online safety things to think about in that s situation. Absolutely. So safety is going to be a really big concern, and I think there are a couple, two big ways to think about it. One, can you trust the company is doing what they say and is going to be able to manage it? And, and so that goes back to, so do they have encryption in place? Do they store all of your information safely? And a lot of us, if you are not a security expert, that might be a little harder to figure out. But you can kind of read and get a sense that they are doing all of the right things. Are they trying? You know, do they mention encryption? Do they say, we are not able to view your passwords? Things like that. Do they say what they're doing to prevent uh, a breach? That's going to be very important. And also, generally, you might expect a large company that has been in the finance industry for a long time. They they're probably going they, – they know and understand privacy and regulations about privacy, and they're going to have a lot of experience dealing with that. Sometimes newer companies – I love startups. I love new apps. I love trying new things, but you just have to be aware that a brand-new app that – is run by people who have no finance, privacy, and regulation experience, 
they might not be prioritizing your security in a way that, for instance, your bank would be prioritizing your security or your credit card company would be prioritizing your security. And then the other side that I look at is, is like I mentioned before, how do they make money and what are they motivated to do? If they are motivated, if you are the one paying them, again, with a credit card, you pay them through your transactions, you pay them sometimes with an annual fee. If it's your bank, you pay them by having money on deposit that they then lend out and make money. They are making money because you have an account with them, not by selling your information. Uh, there is some information sharing and with brokerages, there's some information sharing as well. But understanding what their motivation is and understanding is this a company that is just going to kind of compile my information and sell it to somebody else you just you just want to be aware what is their motivation once they have all this information of mine and you know we've referenced it a couple of times but again in, in terms of safety and security uh, that might be a, a way to re look at some of the reviews I know uh, on some sites reviews can be searched by keywords so you know if you wanted security as a keyword you could see what other users said about whether they thought the the uh, the app was secure enough and that sort of thing so again as we said reference it a couple of times but those those reviews are really have some important information that's absolutely true absolutely true We'll continue talking about apps or software to help you keep track of your money after this last break. What's a free app that can help you with your personal finance? We'll have it for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. This is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. We're glad you found our show Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Here's a reminder, every Tuesday at 10 a.m., listen live to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio immediately following Money Talks. Hey, do you want a free app to help with your personal finance in 2022? The MPB Public Media app is free to download on your Apple or Android device, and you have access to every episode of Money Talks that we've aired, all the past episodes there available to you on your phone. And also, think about supporting MPB with a contribution uh, that might give you a bit of a tax break. 
So we've been talking about uh, software and apps to help with your personal finance. Uh, right, a lot of folks start budgeting any time of the year, but there seems to be uh, some enthusiasm for doing it in January. What do you think? I think January is just as good of a month as any other. I think we were talking last week, and, and there was a, a blog post we had about it. It's a good time to look back at the year that you've just had and see what all did I make in that year and what all did I spend. And it's very useful because, one, everyone works on a calendar system. I mean, I get it. We can make a budget at any time, but when you're looking back at your expenses, you get year-end reviews of your bank activity, your credit card activity. You know, we work on a calendar system, so yes, January is a great time for taking a moment to look back at what you've done, think about what's going to change in this year to make your adjustments. Obviously, you're not just going to spend the same amount on food and groceries and gas and, and, and housing as you did last year. You're going to make some adjustments, but the beginning of the year is a great time to look and see where you're, what you did last year as a basis. Um, you know, we've talked about apps and things, but I think, you know, something as simple as a spreadsheet can, can help you maybe get started on a budget. I know I've got one uh, that I use each month, and I have my, you know, all the bills that I pay each month, the different categories and that sort of thing, and, and plug in the, the amounts. Uh, and I'm not a big uh, spreadsheet guy in terms of, you know, how to use them, but a simple thing like addition and subtraction was easy enough uh, to uh, create. So it gives me a quick snapshot at the beginning of each month of, you know, what my bills are, and then also gives me an idea of how much money I have left over uh, to, uh, you know, to play around with for the month. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Having those snapshots um, and, and, and then having that leftover money, of course, I hope you're looking at some of that leftover money and saying, oh, I can save that. I can, I can raise my savings that I do every month as, as part of it. But yes, all of that re reflective, reflective information that you get is, 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 is really useful as a basis for starting your new year. Uh, the three savings accounts I have, they always get uh, their amount put in there first. So uh, <clears throat> again, <There> you go. <laughs> I was saying the other day, some of this stuff is, is actually penetrating my brain because that idea of pay your yourself first. Make sure that if you're doing the savings thing that you don't scrimp on that and, and make sure that you always, you know, uh, fund those fully for each month. So we got a couple minutes left. Uh, any final thoughts on uh, on uh, at personal finance apps? Do you have a, a favorite one maybe for, for taxes or for budgeting that we haven't mentioned? No. So I have not. And, and, and I don't really use one. I used to do kind of the hand file for taxes and and since I get a lot of I, all of my forms are a mix of paper and electronic I keep just I scan everything in as I receive it and I just keep a folder on my computer I think when you're thinking about taxes and apps to help you with taxes the single most important thing is to be organized with all of your information and I mean have all of your information so not only knowing what every account you have is. Even if you, you're like, oh, that's a retirement account, I don't need to worry about that. Well, just, just know what all your accounts are. Go through online. They should, If you check your accounts online, they should have a f section for tax forms. And starting, usually starting in the end of January, the beginning of February, is when you get those, start getting those forms. Download them 
if you if you like it in paper, print it out and stick it in a folder. If you if you like it electronically, download it and stick it in a folder on your computer. Also, anything pertaining to taxes you paid, because if if you are uh, doing your more than your standard deduction, if you are itemizing your deductions then you can count some of your maybe property taxes, maybe vehicle taxes, uh, extra state taxes that you paid, all sorts of things. You want to keep track of that. Uh, if you are doing large medical expenses, you want to keep track of that. All of those records for your itemized deduction. So just take a moment to get acquainted with the sort of things that are eligible for, to itemize. And again, keep all of those records. Just stick them all in one place. And this is going to be super useful if you're doing it on your own by hand, if you are doing it with the help of tax prep software, or if you're doing it if you have a CPA, because that CPA is going to ask you for all of those same things. That is the first step, is gather those documents. And that's, that's half the job right there, gathering the documents. The rest of it is just sticking the numbers on the form in the right place, which can be complicated, but that's really all that's left after that. So as we close, just a quick story and a shout-out that I'd like to give to folks in customer service uh, industry. I had some issues trying to return a cable box to AT&T this weekend, and the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing, but ran across two uh, customer service folks from uh, two of the retail area, uh, stores here in the uh, metro area. They were extremely polite and kind, and you realize that the one, one manager at one store, the lady in front of me had a complaint that she was a little bit upset about. I was a little bit upset about what my problem was. Keep in mind that it's usually not the person you're talking to's fault, and and so try to be nice to them because I got some excellent, polite customer service uh, this weekend. So a shout-out to all you that work in the customer service industry. We know it's not an easy job. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks on your favorite podcasting app. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener this morning was Lisa Lancaster. So for Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.